Welcome back to Is It Horror? This is Season 2, Episode 4, The Rocky Horror Picture Show. I'm Brianna. I'm Joe. I'm Matt. I'm Mitz. And I am Steve. If you haven't joined us before, each episode we analyze a piece of media, usually a movie, whose horror status is debatable. We look at the creator's intent, audience reception, and the content of the media all in an effort to better define the horror genre. If you agree with our take, awesome. If you don't, that's awesome too. Horror is a diverse genre and all are welcome. And before we get into Rocky Horror Picture Show, we're going to go to Joe's Get to Know You Corner. Joe? Hello, welcome to the corner. Um, So today we're talking about Rocky Horror Picture Show, as we already said. With that in mind, the question was, have you ever participated in a musical or a play? Or if not, or if you want to just say so, what is your favorite musical or play? Well, I have participated in far too many plays and musicals in my lifetime slash live performances. Um, and my favorite musical, mm, let's go with Repo, the Ge- a genetic opera. I think I said all the words right, but I really like that one. Nice. It's got Giles in it and he's being a badass. So Oh, he's cool. so good. <laughs> Warms my soul every time. What was your favorite role you've ever played, Brianna? Oh, man. We might be here a while. I will have to get back to you on that. Okay. You can't just fly off the cuff with these questions. He needs four to six I'm weeks sorry. of anticipation. I didn't put it in the form. <laughs> you need to give me 24 hours to overanalyze it. You know how this goes. Well, for for me, I... um. I did theater and musicals in high school, uh, so I've been in a few just smallish plays, and I was, and we did like the high school musical, which was Forty uh, Second Street. So I was just an ensemble member, but learned to tap dance, did all the singing and dancing and all that stuff. So uh, yeah, that that was mine. And for favorites, I I always like Wicked. I mean, everybody probably most everybody loves Wicked, but that's one of my favorites. Uh, so, yeah, that's me. You know, I've never seen you tap dance at all, Joe, and I feel really, really upset by that now. So, just, <laughs> there's, the, there's a thing, so. Oh, well, you're not missing too much. Uh, there was a reason I was just an ensemble member. Oh. I heard that our next episode is going to be a live musical performance of the podcast instead of actually just recording it. I think you might have heard wrong. <laughs> okay, I, well, I guess we'll save that for later. Um, I've never been in a musical or play, so I don't have anything to say. That's why I was the one that suggest, suggested the additional question. Uh, so my favorite musical probably is Hamilton, because I haven't really seen a lot of musicals, and I definitely really like Hamilton, so... You're not going to tell him about the time I made you watch Cats with me? Okay, so listen. <laughs> Wait, was it the remake, or, or are we talking like an original? We or saw we it, went in to see it off-Broadway. Like, actually. Oh. <laughs> oh, well, that's delightful. What was wrong with... Never mind. We we need to stay friends. Don't tell me why you hated it. Forget <laughs> it. I didn't hate it. <laughs> I didn't hate it. Uh, it was just boring to me. <laughs> he just doesn't get it, Mitz. He doesn't... He doesn't understand. It's okay. 
I, I blame myself. It was not a good introduction to musical theater. It was pretty obscure. <laughs> I also didn't really like any of the songs in it that much. Like, there was maybe one or two songs that I really um, liked. Um, I know that's not true, because you were singing the Curious Cat song when we were walking out. Busted. That's one of the two songs that I liked. <laughs> <laughs> See, you can't escape it. You can't escape Andrew Lloyd Webber. He's gonna get you. I've literally never seen cats in movie form or musical form. I don't recommend the movie. I've heard that, yeah. It's terrifying. I, too, was in musical theater when I was in high school. I really enjoyed it. It's probably one of my favorite activities. And my favorite role, I got to be Jan in Grease and be really nerdy. And I loved it. I'm very jealous of that. My high school was too prim and proper to do Grease. We were not allowed. Oh. Grease was too risque. And all I ever wanted was to be Rizzo. I could have died happy. Oh but no, we had to do Sound of Music. That's a good one. Not as... Not as compared to Grease. Grease mm. is fun. Say what you will about the moral. It's a fun musical. I do really like musical theater me and my mom always get like a season pass to our off-broadway um our local off-broadway company so i see several a year i would say nice speaking of prim and proper high schools like ours was ours was very conservative and like one of the lines in 42nd street is like think of broadway damn it and we couldn't say damn it we had to edit that out so like us being high school kids we like rebelled and like put a big banner in the dressing room that said think of broadway damn it so anyways <laughs> end of segue <laughs> uh so i took a shakespearean acting class in college oh. what you never told me that shut up how did i miss this i don't know um but it is a thing that happened and i played hamlet on the stage <laughs> so oh. there was that Shut up. Oh my god. Wait, did you wear tights? Tell me you wore the tights. Come on. No, I just wore modern clothes. But uh, so Ugh, what the rude. more context for all this is, is I had to do a scene. And so me and my scene partner did the scene from Hamlet. And uh, we, I can't even remember exactly where in the play it is, but we're I'm supposed to be talking to, um, oh my goodness, I can't think of the name of his girlfriend in there. Help me out. Ophelia? Hamlet's girlfriend? Maybe. I think so. Yeah, Hamlet's girlfriend is Ophelia, and he treats her like crap. Yeah, and I and did in does. the thing, too. So there was that. And uh, so at one point, like, I was supposed to, we blocked everything out, and I was supposed to be angry and come and kind of, like, grab her by the throat and kind of hold her to the ground while I'm, like, angrily talking at her. And uh, so I go to do that and I was getting into the scene and we'd had a chair in the way and it was in the way as I was coming after. So I just kicked it across the stage, uh, which really hurt my foot and then had my hand on her throat. And then I was like filled with anger looking at her and then completely forgot my line and it could show on my face. But one of the reviews oh. I got from one of my fellow students was, and I quote, I thought you were going to fucking kill her. <laughs> <laughs> So there's uh, one of my very, very few forays into acting. Other than that, my favorite musical is the Evil Dead musical. Yay! Of course. Naturally. I've only seen it. 
a couple times, and uh, I yeah, it even references Rocky Horror Picture Show in it, and I'm sure it wouldn't exist if it wasn't for Rocky Horror Picture Show. So there's that. Nice. Well, anything else for the corner? No. I think we're good. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. So, uh, if you have been following along at home, this is the fourth week of the first annual Is It Horror Movie Marathon. This has been Mitz's Musical Massacre Week. We are, of course, recording this ahead of time, so we haven't necessarily watched all the movies that have come out this week, but hopefully you've enjoyed them. And uh, then we'll go ahead and we'll get into the movie for this episode, and I will turn the time over to Mitz to give us a little background. Today's episode is the Rocky Horror Picture Show, 1975. It was written by Richard O'Brien. He also wrote Shock Treatment, which was sort of a sequel to the Rocky Horror Picture Show, featuring some of the same characters and some of the same actors, but no one in the same role. And then Richard was also an actor in the Rocky Horror Picture Show as Riff Raff. He was in Phineas and Ferb as Lawrence Fletcher, and other characters. He was in Dark City Ever After, A Cinderella Story, and he was in Spice World. So that's a good repertoire. That's a good credit, Spice World. Wow. I had to include Spice World when I saw it. That was there. Also, <laughs> Dark City is awesome. We might have to do an episode on that someday. Oh, who was he in Dark City? Oh, I haven't watched that in a long time. Please do that one. Mr. Hand. Oh, shut up. That's right. Oh. <gasps> The Rocky Horror Picture Show is based off the musical for which Richard O'Brien wrote the music, lyrics, and book. The musical first opened in 1973, and there have been showing somewhere in the world just about every year since then. Tim Curry, Richard O'Brien, Patricia Quinn, Nell Campbell, and Jonathan Adams all reprised their roles from the musical to the film, and that would be Dr. Frankenfurter, Riff Raff, Magenta, Columbia, and The Criminologist, respectively. The film was directed and written by Jim Sharman, uh, who also was involved in the movie Shock Treatment, as well as The Night the Prowler, Summer of Secrets, and Shirley Thompson vs. the Aliens. So if you're not familiar with the movie or the musical, here's your back-of-the-box description. Fasten your garter belt and come up to the lab and see what's on the slab. The madcap... Musical mayhem begins when rain-soaked Brad and Janet take refuge in the castle of Dr. Frankenfurter, a transvestite mad scientist from outer space who is about to unveil his greatest creation and have a bit of fun with his reluctant guests. (laughs) (laughs) Seemed necessary. So, to give a little bit of background on um, the production, or at least the intent, so Richard O'Brien is... I guess at least the way that I view it, and this is from my shallow research, I'm sure if you were here because you were excited about the Rocky Horror Picture Show, I know a lot of people take pride in exactly how many times they've watched this movie, and I've heard, you know, hundreds to thousands for some people. For me, it is exactly twice now, so I apologize if we miss out on any details on all of this, and you probably know more about it than we do, but hopefully uh, there will still be something of value in analyzing the genre, which is something maybe you haven't considered before. But uh, so at least for some quotes from Richard O'Brien that I thought were of interest for this, uh, he was doing an interview for Noise 11. And uh, so he was talking a little bit. The question they was talking about is he had written 
the song Science Fiction Double Feature first on its own as part of a 20-minute comedy routine that he was, uh, as I understand correctly, was performing at EMI Studios, now Abbey Road Studios, where the Beatles recorded almost all of their albums. And uh, Richard O'Brien was talking to a friend about having done that, and so he was suggesting, and this is just because it's relevant because he mentions genre, he says, why don't we write a musical? I don't know, a horror musical, sci-fi, horror, B-movie musical. And... Um, just kind of talking about the production, he'd also said in a separate interview, writing Rocky was almost like working on a jigsaw puzzle. I had written several of the songs before, and all I had to do was slot them in. I didn't start at the beginning and develop the plot from there. I started at both ends and then filled in the middle. And then, of course, if you've listened to science fiction double feature, the song itself, I guess being the first thing written for Rocky Horror, it references about a dozen different sci-fi slash horror films from the 30s and 50s mostly and uh so just it's it's clear that those references were on his mind but i at least got the sense from listening to other interviews with him that maybe he wasn't so much focused on the horror side of it but maybe a little bit more on the sci-fi side of it at least that was my personal interpretation so uh as far as reception goes i found as far as meta tags uh, about 11 sites, 11 sites referenced it as comedy, 7 referenced it as a musical, 5 as horror, 3 as sci-fi, 2 as fantasy, and 1 as drama. We'd also talked previously about how a lot of horror movies get a bump in October, and this was honestly the best textbook example of that. Every October there is a huge bump in searches for this movie, so it's like clockwork. You can set your watch by it. But I also wanted, before we got into whether or not everyone thought it was horror or not, I wanted to see, has anyone seen this in a theater with a bunch of fans? Like, seen the actual sort of midnight showing version of Rocky Horror Picture Show? Um, I have not been to a midnight movie showing, but I have been to, like, a live... Oh my gosh, I... I don't even know how to describe it. Um, it was at a drag bar and it was wonderful because the entire cast was queer and it was fabulous and there was tons of glitter. And basically what they did is they projected the movie on like a big old sheet, but then they had basically like a runway and they had the characters come down and basically lip sync to the movie as it was playing. It was phenomenal. It was one of my favorite performances. Highly recommend 10 stars. Which I guess that sort of uh, I guess shadow performance, I think it was something that's akin to that. That sort of thing happens a lot with this movie. I didn't get to see that version of it, but I did just see it with a bunch of people quoting all the lines. We weren't allowed to throw things because it's a very old theater that we were in when we were watching it. But been in the crowd, listening to everybody shout all the responses and things you're supposed to shout. So that was pretty fun, pretty interesting. It was my first time seeing it that way or seeing it at all. was That was my first time. Yeah, the performance I went to was totally interactive. Like, they gave you a goodie bag with toast and squirt guns, and, like, they literally had to mop the floor when, at the end of the show, it was it was grand. Nice. <laughs> I haven't seen it that way, and honestly, this was the first time I had seen the movie at all was for this recording, but now I feel like I do need to have that experience. So, sometime, I'll do it. I haven't seen it either, and I really regret it because my college used to put it on one night every year, and I never went. But I always knew it was Rocky Horror Night because after the show, 
out in town in the bars and everything, you would see people in their bra and underwear and you're like, oh, it's Rocky Horror Night. I missed it again. <laughs> oh, you have to dress up. It's integral to the experience. I strongly recommend anyone who has not gone to like a live performance, you need to go, you need to fully commit, you need to dress up, put on the fishnets. It's going to change your life. <laughs> I was walking through North Philly, must have been uh, Rocky Horror Night, but like every night. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's get to it then. Is this movie horror? What did everybody think? I did not think it was horror, but it is certainly horror flavored. Um, I settled on horror comic sci-fi. That's my final answer so far. Yeah, I had to say not horror as well, but I was trying to, I mean, I think we're going to get into this a bit, but I was trying to like, think about if you take the musical aspect out of it is it horror and even then i think it's at best horror comedy but for the quick initial impression i'm saying not horror it crossed my mind that maybe this is a little horror parody like is that i mean that's similar to horror comedy right kind of i have thoughts on that we'll get to it for sure i feel that it's firmly not horror i think that it's more like sci-fi comedy and i would think it's almost sort of like spoofing a little bit frankenstein in a way and that is even considered more sci-fi than horror a lot of times Uh, and this would be even less horror in my opinion so yeah i'm gonna say sci-fi comedy um i think it is not horror as well but I think it's dark and obscure enough to still be a Halloween movie. So figure that out. That's actually where I landed to. It's not a horror movie. It is a Halloween movie, but it's not a horror movie. That's where I agree. Yeah. Okay. So I guess one of the first things that I at least wanted to tackle with this is, uh, Can a horror movie stop being a horror movie as society changes? So just kind of looking at this movie, thinking about the time that it was released, if maybe people would have felt different about it then. And I think we've talked about this a little, but this is the oldest movie that we have, uh, that we've talked about so far. So I guess that's why I was curious to hear everyone's thoughts. Really? It is the oldest one we've talked about? That's surprising. Yeah, this is 75, right? Yep. So what do you think? Can a horror movie stop being a horror movie as society changes? I don't think so. I think that things can become very outdated and no longer scary. But we've determined that scary isn't always something that's needed to be horror in a classic sense. I think that there are time-stamped benchmarks of horror and they remain horror when they happen. Yeah, I tend to agree. Yeah, scary doesn't equal horror. And I think that's maybe a weak spot about some like more current horror is they've envelope has been pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed over the years. And so now it's to the point where some things, you know, they're splatters of blood and they're like, okay, this equals horror. And it's like taken away from some of the smarter horror things. Uh, and the more like slow burn horror things that I think are, I I like a little bit better. 
Uh, I think especially when you factor in the intent of the filmmakers and things like that, that definitely it doesn't necessarily stop being a horror movie because of time, you know, just looking at time as a factor. So, yeah, I, I don't think so. Okay. Well, that kind of, uh, I had sort of a follow-up to that, but I think we sort of answered it as we are talking about that. I guess I would tend to say, I think that maybe the perspective on it can get lost a little bit. So I was trying to at least look up some of the contemporary films, like what's the best of the 70s that we've got at the time. And I thought at least be interested to read some of those movies that came up. First off, you've got Jaws 1 and 2, which we're actually going to be talking about Jaws later in this season, so your mileage may vary on whether or not you think that one's horror, but then we've got things like The Exorcist in 73, The Exorcist 2 in 77, Amityville Horror in 74. Uh, Another questionable one, but still maybe in the same vein, same discussion as this, is Young Frankenstein in 74, Alien 79, which we talked about, so go check that episode out. And then uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre in 74, Carrie in 76, Halloween in 78, The Omen in 76, Phantasm in 79, Dawn of the Dead in 78, Black Christmas in 74. So I just thought, I know I'm rattling off a whole bunch, but I thought it was interesting to at least look at what kinds of horror movies were coming out at the same time. And these were top grocers, at least a lot of them anyway, during that era. So it wasn't things that were obscure then that have come to prominence as time went on. Obviously, there's a little bit of that, but a bunch of these were were popular then too. So that's at least some of what it was being released against as the same time as inspiring perhaps some of as time went on. So I don't know, I thought it was just interesting to at least look at that. Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen all of those, but just as you were reading the list, I was thinking to myself, I think I'd still classify most of those as horror despite uh, despite their age. So, I don't know. I think The Exorcist in particular is one where people are like, well, that's just silly. The effects look silly now. It's just I just laugh at it. But when you look at the intent and the story, it was definitely intended to be horror, and I still think is horror. Right, yeah. I think it is one of those things you see more when you maybe dive a little bit further into stuff. Like, uh, has anyone here, just out of curiosity, seen um, 1922's Nosferatu? Or maybe even Dracula in 30, I think it was 31, was Dracula? I've definitely seen Nosferatu. Mm. I actually saw the one where it, like, the background music was typo negative. Oh, that was delightful. <laughs> I've never seen that. That's awesome. Wait, that sounds familiar. Let me look that up. Because I know at least 1970, uh, 1975 isn't really that long ago. It is long enough ago that none of us were alive at that point when that was made. But uh, I don't know, just looking at how those things shift over time. So I think, yeah, like everyone said, not to just belabor the point, but I think I'm willing to say that it stays horror, but I think that there still can be some shift that depending on the content you might end up with, I think it's conceivable that you could end up with a movie where people would rediscover it today and it wouldn't even enter their mind that it was horror. So I do wonder a little bit if maybe there is some shift there, but I think it's not probably a big shift. Well, anyway, 
moving along to the tone side of things, this is also the first time we've covered a musical. So do you think it is harder for a musical to be horror? Heck no. Look at Sweeney Todd. There's so much gore in that. Mm-mm. I don't think it detracts at all. I think by nature, mm. musical is capable of conveying just about any tone and feeling. So I don't think that, yeah, I don't think that it makes it any less horror. So we're recording this at a time. Uh, so we haven't watched the other ones, but I haven't watched a lot of horror bent musicals. So I guess my my initial reaction was that it probably was a little harder for musical to be musicals to be horror. Maybe that's unfair, but I guess in thinking about this movie, even the, with the kind of horror undertones that it have that it has, and being you know definitely influenced by Frankenstein and um, other horror aspects, you know, there's cannibalism, there's other things going on in there, but like it's still. And maybe this is just to this one specifically, but the music just kind of makes it pop and a little more lighthearted than than I think it would be otherwise. And that's why I was trying to think about if you take that away, if you take that stuff away, is it different? And I I think if you take it away for me, I guess it does feel it feels more like uh, maybe a horror comedy. But in a, in the musical sense, like I just I don't even see the horror parts of it almost at all for for my personal take. I do think it's harder for a musical to be horror, but it can be done. It depends on the execution for me. I think. Um. So, I'm gonna critique Rocky Horror Picture Show here because something it does not do very well, honestly, is integrate the music into the narrative. So a lot of times I feel like in Rocky Horror, the narrative stops so that we can sing a song that's vaguely related to the story. Whereas, so that is like an interruption to the tension almost. You don't want to interrupt the tension. It's better if a, if a musical adds to the narrative and adds to the tension with the music. So I think that if that is done well, it it's easier for a musical to be horror. Honestly, I completely agree, and that's the whole reason that I wrote that uh, read that Richard O'Brien quote where he talks about having written a bunch of these songs ahead of time and then kind of slotting them in and not really worrying about the plot side of it because I did feel like some of the songs didn't really make all that much sense to me, and I'm not going to sit here and say that I know all the lyrics to all of them. Maybe there's nuance that I'm missing that uh, you know, like a super fan of this could explain to me, but I guess that's what I thought is that not all the songs really fit and that it ends up kind of breaking up the narrative a little bit and breaking up the tension. So yeah, I, I agree with all of that personally. A random thing. So when I was kind of doing some of the research for this, like I, I did like struggle following, you know, some of the plot and some of the motivation for some of the stuff that was going on. And so I was just kind of Googling some stuff and I, I just Googled, like, why did uh, Frankenfurter kill Eddie? And I just came across this random uh, Reddit post, and somebody had asked that same question. And then they asked, why did why did Frankie kill Eddie? And what is the plot exactly about? And then one of the, like, the top comment was, 
he was jealous that people like Columbia, even seemingly Rocky, liked Eddie more than him. As for the plot, eh, don't concern yourself with such questions and just enjoy the radio picture. <laughs> so I I felt like that was pretty spot on. <laughs> like, just don't worry about it. Just enjoy the ride, which I did. And I think it's a gr- it's great. But yeah. Yeah, I think um, so if I was going to compare with like the one other horror musical that I've seen, which is uh, Little Shop of Horrors, I feel like Little Shop of Horrors does a lot better of a job integrating the actual numbers into the plot line and the story. So that's kind of where I was saying that, yeah, I think that it definitely works. But yeah, definitely there were some good points about Rocky Horror, the song's kind of just maybe not even relating too much to what's happening. One of the other things, I had this conversation actually the other day about musicals in general, and I was curious how you guys felt about it and how you feel like it relates to this film. That uh, I sort of view musicals as kind of a hyper-reality. Like, the characters aren't really singing and dancing so much as it's just conveying an emotion that the characters are all feeling so like if you you're watching this hyper reality version of it and if you were you know actually there with the people if it was a real place that you could go and visit the the singing and dancing wouldn't be happening that it was it's just sort of trying to convey that emotion to you so i guess thinking about it in that way looking at uh rocky horror picture show is kind of uh yeah, thinking about it like like Joe had already said, what would it be like if you were actually there during the events and then, you know, the song and dance is pulled out of it and it's just happening, whatever's happening is actually just happening. And I guess thinking about, too, what Mitz had to say about, like, yeah, again, just that it maybe breaks up any tension that does get built. I don't know, did did anybody else feel like that if there was any tension being built at the musical number sort of, like, put a stop to that? I think one particular moment with that is when Brad and Janet are like rolling up to the house and it could be kind of a tense moment and then everybody starts singing. So it's like, <laughs> and even like when they go in the house, they could have used that as a moment to be like, mm, this is a spooky house. We're going to build some suspense. But now, no, it's song time. It's time warp. I agree. I th- I think everything up to the time warp was a little more tension building but again since this isn't horror all all bets are off like this is just about having a fun ride with glitter yeah (laughs) it's it's less about resolving tension and more about relieving tension if you will (laughs) precisely some tension (laughs) and so i think that joe already addressed this point a little bit but i am curious uh, what kind of tone do you feel like the music of rocky horror set for for you I think it banked a whole lot of on shock value for the time in which it was made. Um, I think that it is super sexually liberated. I mean, the first time I saw this as a queer kid, I was like, oh my God, you're allowed to do this. This is amazing. And, you know, here we are. <laughs> I think it's definitely like kind of wild to see, especially in that time, because you think about how the LGBTQ plus community everywhere, right? Even now is having all these issues, but this movie in the seventies and like the first introduction of this character, he's like, I'm a transvestite. And you're like, Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah. This was just a big old fuck you. Like here I am. Mm -hmm. 
Exactly. <laughs> and then, like, not only that, but, like, I am going to get busy with everybody that's in this house. And every, like, all of us are just, it doesn't matter who's who, it's all happening. No one can resist Tim Curry in platform shoes. It is a, it is a law of physics. Apparently not, yeah. This movie pretty much scientifically proves that, so. I would watch Tim Curry eat a pack of saltines. Like, let's be real, the man's a legend. <laughs> he steals the show for sure in this movie. Like, I don't even look at anybody else. <laughs> yeah, I love when he eye fucks the camera. It's like, it's so cheeky. It's the best. <laughs> in my research, I had, now I don't remember who it was interviewing him. It was like an interview from the like 90s or so, and they were talking about random stuff. And, uh, they were talking about how like British actors a lot of the time get uh, cast as the villain and that that kind of thing. And the interviewer was like, "Well, I'll uh, I'll be honest. Like, if you were the devil, I'd pay to go to hell." <laughs> uh, so yeah. Anyways, just speaking to Tim Curry's uh, charisma. I have a question based on that statement you just said. Is Dr. Frankenfurter the villain in this story? Because I don't have an answer to this. I think he's a sympathetic anti-hero in the end. I mean, that does not excuse some of his other actions, which are questionable, but he does it looking fabulous. Maybe the real villain is society's perception of sexuality and gender. I agree with that. Yeah. Well, no, I just I had written down earlier, too, and I don't want to because we seem to be heading towards the sexual liberation topic that we have slated here. But I did at least have as one thing under my uh, my label of taboo and then light cannibalism. Dr. Frankenfurter kills Eddie and feeds him to his guests as a joke. And he's also at the very least manipulative. So my question was, yeah, is he a monster? So I was kind of curious. It's, you're already hitting on it. Mitz is. I guess, yeah, I am curious where everyone weighs in on that. I mean, in today's society, sure, we can say he's a monster in real life. However, I would like to point out that Zeus did all sorts of fucked up shit, and he is a god in Greek mythology. So, tomato, tomato. But God is not synonymous with good in Greek mythology either. There's lots of people that are gods they are absolute shitbags and are supposed to be. And therein lies the rub, sir. Yeah, I I don't know. It's I when I had when I saw that interview that, you know, specifically called him out as the villain, I had to qu question that myself as well. Uh and I had to kind of come to the conclusion that like, yeah, he kind of is, but it's it's very sympathetic and that's not what the movie's about. I don't know. It's just sort of a background detail, you know. Yeah, I guess I don't know if I'd go so far as to say monster. I would go so far as to say, I, I mean, I understand he's not a human being. He's an alien in this, but I'll say a flawed human being, you know, just a whole round picture, like his whole point. I don't know exactly what his mission is supposed to be in being here, but at least the character exudes, you know, basically sexual freedom, sexual acceptance. And, uh, that is what he's getting at. But at the same time, he's also a jealous person. You know, he's used to being the star of the show, always the star of the show. So the few moments when he's not the star of the show, he kind of loses it. 
It's not easy having a good time. <laughs> yeah, he pouts and then, you know, kills the people. Let's talk about the sexual liberation aspect of this movie and I guess how it relates to horror. Um, I think that at least for my personal taste, and you guys can tell me if you think I'm right or wrong, I feel like Richard O'Brien's purpose in writing this, he, he said at least in a few interviews he wanted to write the type of musical, since that's what he was originally doing, that he wanted to see. And uh, I think that horror, at least part of what it tries to do, is usually to have people confront their fears. And I think in this way, normally that's confronting a fear of mortality, but in Rocky Horror, it's confronting a fear of one's own sexuality. So I guess it's kind of a two-part question. Do you feel like, I guess that assessment's right, that horror is about confronting fears and uh, having a movie that's asking you to confront your fears of your own sexuality rather than your mortality, does that conflict with the horror genre or can you make that work? I know that's a lot of things at once. I think that assessment's pretty spot on on both fronts on horror confronting your fear of mortality or other things and that this one's more about confronting your sexuality and that does put it in the same realm. It's like just slightly different flavored horror. I still couldn't bring myself to call it horror, uh, but... Uh, but yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think it's been mentioned already, but it kind of makes it more a parody of horror in a great way. I don't think this movie presents um, fear of one's own sexuality as much as it makes the audience and society think about what they fear about sexuality and gender roles in general. Well, that's what I mean. I, I agree with that statement. That's what I would continue. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I think that that aspect is what it Rocky Horror to me is almost satire. I don't know. I, I feel like it's a huge commentary. It's a huge like middle finger to the status quo of society at the time. Um, and it was also kind of a, like a, a freedom cry more than anything. Like, you know, here we are. Too bad. Now we're going to take off in our, you know, ancient house spaceship thing, which, oh my god, this whole thing was so gonzo. Can we also talk about Riff Raff's pointy little sickle-shaped ponytail? <laughs> what was that choice? Someone explain it to me. I enjoyed it. I just don't understand it. And that seems to be the theme for most of this movie. Oh, that sums up a lot of about, about this movie. I enjoyed it, but I didn't understand it. It's just an acid trip. Smile and nod. I actually really liked his like his alien outfit because it gave me like we were talking about fifties or older sci-fi and our dad, uh, Stephen, my dad was like a big fan of that kind of stuff like Buck Rogers and things like that. Definitely gave me some Buck Rogers vibes on the sci-fi outfits. I did appreciate Magenta's final like um, ode to Bride of Frankenstein, like with her little side streaks going all the way up her little beehive excellent and i do think that rocky horror is i think it's a satire of horror but not actually horror itself and i feel like and i don't know maybe this isn't what richard o'brien was thinking at all and i'm getting you know too into it but i, I think that is what he was i do think at least the way that i worded the question earlier is i, I agree with that concept that i think he was seeing 
what horror usually does is try and get people to confront these things and basically taking the the horror formula and having them confront their own sexuality instead of fears of mortality. And so it's like using the same, it's like he's taking the same car that they've been using to drive other locations. Like, well, we can drive it to this location instead and I'll use the trappings and I'll use the flavoring, but uh, ultimately that's not what the movie ends up being about. It's not about the, uh, it's not about the horror side of things. It's just using that to confront another idea. I don't know. I feel like I put it more succinctly in other places, but anyway, so yeah, I guess that's, that's how I view it is. It's a satire of horror, but it's not itself horror. I think that idea works a lot. Um, one thing about horror where it's like, confronting your fear of mortality or things like that is it's like confront that fear and then kind of say yep you should have been afraid of that you should be afraid of getting a machete in the face or something like that or you know it just helps you kind of uh, or i don't know if it helps you but like you you are supposed to be scared of these things i think one of the differences with this is it's like Here's something you might be scared of or not sure how to feel about your sexuality uh, and you don't need to be scared of it and it's okay. And don't dream it, be it. You know, it's okay to be you. It is also okay to put on a tight lace corset and a feather boa and dance around if you want to. That is also a moral of the story. Yes, exactly. I think that's another thing that maybe took it a little bit away from being horror is that I do feel like at the end of the day, ultimately the movie is hopeful because of that idea of acceptance. You can be who you are. You can find people that will accept you. And, you know, if you're looking at say Brad and Janet and Dr. Frankenfurter and uh, even the uh, shoot is it the criminologist. Yes. I think that's the name of the character. Anyway, these characters that, at the beginning of the film, at least when you're introduced to them, you would think they would never accept Dr. Frankenfurter, but by the end of the movie, they do, and they're singing and dancing, and they're upset to see what's happening to them. So I feel like there's that hopeful tone about all of it. Also, Brad and Janet's honeymoon is going to be fucking lit. Let's just be real about that. <laughs> As a person who's straddling the line between like millennial and Gen Z, I have no idea what it was like to be a teenager in the 70s or a young adult in the 70s or 80s or 90s. So whenever we watch these movies, I try to imagine how my perception of the movie would be different if I was seeing it at that time. So when I think about some of the horror movies that we watched and imagining what views of these topics would be back then so i it's the mid 70s we're not quite in the satanic panic but we're getting there lgbtq political wins are happening but it's still very taboo so i imagine what it would be like to say to your friend that oh i just saw the rocky horror picture show last night in theaters what their reaction would be and because it was probably a taboo movie to see, or maybe it wasn't because I wasn't there. If that maybe adds to people's perception that it was a horror movie, maybe. And 
Also, I think about other movies from that time. Like, oh, I saw Texas Chainsaw Massacre last night. Would people's reaction to that be, oh, that's weird. You're, that's taboo. There's taboo topics and therefore that is a horror movie because there's taboo topics in it. Does that make sense? So maybe, I don't know, sometimes I wonder, like, if people viewed it differently in 1975 when it came out, viewed it as a taboo movie because of the topics in it, would it have been seen as horror? This kind of goes back to the conversation we had earlier, but the sexual liberation conversation kind of made me think of it. I think I agree with you there, like... Just from my perspective, I've never seen this movie before. So without having ever seen it, I thought, well, it's got horror in the title. It's probably pretty obviously horror. Or I had like perceptions about what it was going to be about in my head. So maybe a lot of it is ca- categorized by people that just maybe haven't even seen it. You know what I mean? <laughs> I think it would be easy to assume that it was horror if you looked at just the trappings and things around it. So, I mean, first off, horror's in the title, so there's that. Second off, you know it's playing a lot at midnight movies, or at least that's the thought process, and that I think even before seeing this, I knew that there was at least some people considered some of what was in it to be taboo without knowing what was actually in it. And yeah, so I agree. It would be easy to hear all of those things, not having seen it and assume that it's definitely a horror film because I I don't know. I've, I've said it before and it's a little bit inarticulate, but I think that there's this element to at least some horror movies where uh, you almost feel like you're getting away with something by being able to see it. <laughs> and so I think with that in mind, if there's a movie that you feel like you're not supposed to see that it's somehow, you know, like you're basically flipping off society by watching it anyway, then that is definitely horror's wheelhouse. Mm -hmm. So it would be easy for this to slot right into that. Like I'm wondering, like today in 2022, when we think of a horror movie versus a movie about sexual liberation, we're not going to assume that that's the same movie. But in 1975, I'm wondering if if they were more close together because sexual liberation maybe was terrifying to general society. Am I making sense? I don't know. Yeah, I think so. I think that's at least some of what's at play there. I Again, that's kind of why I feel like it's the satire of horror. You know, it's using the tropes and conventions of horror to help people confront something that they don't need to be afraid of but some people are and so yeah i think that fits along with i think what you're getting at personally it seems like maybe it would be horror to at that time to a large percentage of the population but then you also have a percentage of the population like we're coming off coming off the 60s at this point which is you know true <laughs> flower power hippies all that a lot of people a lot more people exploring sexual liberation and that kind of thing so you know it probably worked really well for some people and for others it maybe was horrifying who were trying to kind of kick back against that 
So another aspect, I guess, that I wanted to kind of, I guess, more get your opinion on is uh, you see Brad and Janet's journey throughout the film. And uh, Frankenfurter, he's, you know, he's he's got this extreme over-the-top personality. Um, and then, of course, you know, he turns them all into statues later. And then when they come back, I think you at least have Brad and Janet both have some vague dialogue about feeling different. And so I guess I was thinking about and wondering if they were fully able to give consent. And if maybe that is something that, cause I don't think it's, I don't think anybody sees it in that kind of dark context, really. It doesn't feel like that, but I guess that's my question is whether or not you feel like they were able to give consent for everything that had gone on. And then maybe further. So looking at the idea of Rocky horror himself created as uh, basically as a sex partner, sex slave for Dr. Frankenfurter. And, you know, wondering again with whatever his mental capacity was, if he was able to give consent and if that changes the way you view things at all. It doesn't change the way I view things only because of the way that it was presented. You know, we see this in outdated like Looney Tunes cartoons. Like you have Pepe Le Pew who is clearly sexually harassing that poor fucking cat. But like yeah. this is what on an on a light entertainment level, this is horrible to say, was passed off as romance. Like this is the very obvious indication of romance. So I think that the the Brad and Janet and Dr. Frankenfurter scenes were all sort of played off as yes there we can call it coercion but in the end we find that both brad and janet were like hell yeah and brad's smoking a cigarette afterwards so obviously the doc delivered <laughs> <laughs> that yeah i don't know i i was trying to think about this topic and it's like there's a lot of implied like you can't leave but it's never very explicit like they put them in their rooms but they kind of just put them in the room and closed the door like maybe they could have just gotten up and walked away if they wanted to i i don't know but i I don't know i think it's probably more what you're saying brianna where that's just it was sort of just passed off as sort of romance i guess yeah, this was supposed to be scenes where you can both see the like, okay, these two like really stiff, square, cis white hetero folks are going to find out what it's really all about. <laughs> I'm telling you, the honeymoon's going to be fantastic. <laughs> Unless they count this as their honeymoon, because I don't know if you could beat that. Honestly, yeah. it's probably more exciting than anything they'll ever have happen ever again. Is there a Rocky Horror mm-hmm. 2? There should be. Let's make that happen. Well, I mean, that's, I guess, as I understand it, unofficially kind of what shock treatment is, because there are a Brad and Janet character in there that are, I think is, and again, I haven't seen shock treatment yet, so I'll have to watch it. But I believe, at least from what I read, they're strongly implied to be the same characters. They're just played by different a different actor and actress. Um, but at the same time, too, Richard O'Brien didn't seem to think much of shock treatment and felt like it was a bit of a misstep, so... I guess in theory, there's more possible story if you wanted to check it out. But and all I was going to say is just a comment on like, clearly they, they could walk away because, you know, Janet's in her room after having slept with Dr. Frankenfurter and then she decides to go wander the house and nobody stops her and nobody does anything. Nobody has any idea that she's there in the room with Rocky and then Rocky leaves 
left the building without anybody caring. Clearly, he's somebody that probably should have been watched as much as Brad Janet if they were trapped there. So it's like gentle coercion. But yeah, they could have left at any time. I mean, even when the like other doctor shows up, I mean, he's being like pulled to the other room, but he's being pulled through the house and like goes past uh, Magenta and Columbia. And they're just like, oh, there's some random dude floating through our room. Oh, well, like, I don't know. It's doesn't feel like a place that has many locks, even though, like, I guess that goes back to like Rocky because he is like chained to the bed, but it didn't take him much to get out of it. So, again, doesn't feel very prisony, I guess. There, I feel like there is some implication that the doctor has some kind of supernatural power over them, and especially with like the the guy at the end in the wheelchair, kind of like trying to resist it, but then he suddenly got fishnets on and dancing also. So I feel like you there is a little suddenly. bit. Of, <laughs> yeah, maybe he came with fishnets on. Maybe he came, yeah. But there's like a, it feels like there's a little bit of supernatural element to him coercing them or convincing them, but it may not be that at all. It's really hard to tell. I guess I was going to frame this as a question, but I guess it's more just an observation that I think is kind of interesting about it too. And I think it's just a credit to everybody that worked on this film and what their mindset was and what they were going for is just to say that I think that it would have been easy in that era for Dr. Frankenfurter to turn into kind of like a trans panic trope sort of character like you get in Sleepaway Camp, but it's a credit to the movie and everyone who worked on it that they didn't. Like it's never, uh, no one really ever questions it or says anything to it. They just accept him as he is, as he presents himself with, with no issue. And I think that that is a really, you know, liberating aspect of this movie as well. Yeah, I I agree for sure. It's it's not played as something. I don't know. All the characters just accept it, like you say, which I think is helps its whole sexual liberation feel to it. It's just this is who everybody or this everybody is themselves in the movie. I didn't say that very well, but whatever. So another aspect I guess I wanted to see what everybody's take is, and we kind of talked about this a little bit earlier, but do you feel that the film does spend any time building tension? And uh, do what do you feel like was the most horror-feeling sequence in the film? I really do think the car breaking down and them coming up to the creepy old mansion and then, you know, you have Riff Raff at the door being his creepy self. I think that that whole thing was probably the most horror for me um, because you have your happy little setup and then you have your little teeny tiny tragedy and then everybody dances and that's my kind of horror movie. I think for me, the moments that built the most tension and also when I was the most concerned for people's safety, which I see is one of your questions, was... Well, I guess they were the times when Dr. Frankenfurter was acting erratically, which is often, but the two moments <laughs> I can think of it are one when he murders Eddie in the freezer with some kind of ice pick, and two when he turns everybody into statues. 
And both of those are very emotional attacks. So I guess I do feel a little bit, even though he sort of laughs it off both times and we are, we as an audience are meant to laugh it off because he then like looks at the camera and shrugs or whatever. You kind of are concerned for everyone's safety because then we see this character as somebody who acts on emotion and can change at the drop of a hat. I mean, are we concerned for their safety, though? Or are we just waiting to see what happens next? Because I did not feel any fear for anyone, really. Like, I was... True. Not to say that I wasn't invested in the characters, but I was like, oh, yeah, do it. Kill him. Do it. It's going to be, oh, my God. Oh, there's the splatter. Oh, now we're going to dance. It just... I don't know. It was that kind of ride for me. Yeah, I guess that I would say I didn't really... I mean, there was... The the part of the movie that spent the most time trying to build any kind of tension was definitely the lead up to getting to the house. You could have paused before the time warp actually starts up and you I, I think you easily could have gotten to that point and said to yourself, I am watching a horror movie. Something scary is coming. There's going to be people that are killed. It's going to be there's going to be gore. There's going to be dark atmosphere. Uh, you would I think you could definitely think that that's what you were headed into um then the most out of place moment i guess in terms of the the tone of the whole film is finding out hey you were probably just eating eddie and here's his corpse that's you know (laughs) splayed out right under the tablecloth uh that feels like it's entirely out of place almost in the movie to me so i guess that's spots where i felt like there was tension but no i was never really worried about it anybody's safety i just as brianna said it's just not that kind of film it's just kind of the movie's laughing everything off so you can't take it too serious when anything happens to anybody Mm -hmm. anyway i agree with all that uh the one thing that i ended up thinking about back to like the whole turning people into statues thing was there are a lot or a bunch of other statues around So there's an implication that he's turned a bunch of people into statues and that they're just they're just now his ornaments, I guess. So I don't know. That's there's something there. <laughs> it reminds me of um if anyone's ever listened to the actual cannibal Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> oh, yes. So it's kind of like legendary fight with Shia LaBeouf, normal Tuesday night for Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> So I feel like that's what you're dealing here with Dr. Frankenfurter. This is like the craziest, most epic thing that's ever happened to Brad and Janet. But to Dr. Frankenfurter, this is a Tuesday. Right. Let's see. Uh, I guess the other thing that I was thinking about, but we kind of really answered this as we went along, is that there are a lot of horror tropes in this. Um, the blueprint of the film does fall Frankenstein, right? It's, you know, you've got the doctor, you've got the the creepy deformed assistant in riffraff you've got them creating a monster and using advanced scientific techniques to you know create create life and uh just all to different purpose and then of course yeah the the trope of the couple their car breaks down in the rain and they find the dark castle so i mean like it's definitely got those horror tropes in there and as we've already talked about that wasn't enough to push it over the edge for anybody I guess those are, unless anybody has any comments on that, I guess there's maybe not more to discuss in that particular subject. 
I mean, I could have, you could have gotten me with the mad scientist portion. However, he was wearing pink dish gloves, folks. And he, when he snapped them, oh my God, I, it just, I don't know. I couldn't be afraid. (laughs) Uh, My anniversary edition of Rocky Horror that I purchased at Walmart has a participation um, subtitle that tells you when you're supposed to do things, and it informed me that you're supposed to snap your rubber gloves along with Dr. Frankenfurter every time he does it. Yep, oh, that is so true. Good. That is true. I can't believe you didn't know that already. So, <laughs> Like you knew. You didn't yeah. know. <laughs> I'm wearing my gloves right now. But it's incidental to this podcast, correct? I've been washing dishes during the podcast, that's all. Not murdering. Fair. All right, well, I think that that about covers everything that I had written down question-wise. Of course, there are a million things we could have talked about with this film, um, but I guess, are there any other thoughts that anybody had that they wanted to kind of discuss with this, whether it deals with it being horror or not? So I had one other random thought, and... I can't remember if we brought this up now. I don't think we had, but as far as whether he, whether Frankenfurter is a bad guy or whatnot, but one thing is like he's at the wedding, right? Like he's like in the background at the wedding. I'm mistaken yeah. on that. So is Riff Raff and Magenta and Columbia. Yeah, they're all there together. I think that's probably an ode to the the stage production. I think that they did um they shared roles as characters in the actual stage production and I believe that this film had the original actors from the stage production. For the most part, yeah. But the other thing I guess to point out too is that the narrator even has an image pointing out that they're there. Yes. That made me wonder like okay, were Brad and Janet targeted? Did he like scope them Absolutely. out beforehand? Okay, Absolutely. so I definitely all right. So that so. that for me feels like it, it adds credence to the idea that he's a bad guy. He was specifically targeting these people and alluring them to his castle. So, anyways, random side note. I just love that Frankenfurter serves as the town folks' moral compass on weekdays. That's fantastic. that he's just there running the church and then being like all right who is ready for the real gospel (laughs) that is a sermon i would attend the other thing i think is kind of funny too not involving whether it's horror or not but i watching some of the interviews with tim curry uh trying to find some of the older ones that came out at about the same time that this does And I guess you would think to yourself, like, watching this and watching it and some of his other performances and being like, this is a guy who is probably, like, flamboyant, over-the-top, high energy in any room that he's in. But then you're watching the interviews with him, at least the ones that I saw, and it's, like, low-energy, unassuming, quietly fades into the background kind of personality, which is just not what I was expecting at all. At least that's what I was seeing. He seems like one of the coolest dudes ever. Oh, for sure. I think that just shows how magnificent of an actor he is. Yeah, absolutely. He can portray such intense characters, but uh, that's not necessarily who he is. 
but yeah, like some of the interviews I saw, saw, like they talked about like his gardening and like that he prefers to like his idea of a good night is to stay at home and read and stuff like that. So yeah, it's very interesting. Gotta watch out for the introverts. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing I'll say too that I noticed in researching for this is if you find any interview with Richard O'Brien, just go ahead and watch it. You can't go wrong with any interview with him. He's he's great. Um, I think it, as far as I know, and anyone can correct me if I'm wrong, I believe that Richard O'Brien also identifies as trans non-binary. I didn't see him specifically say that, but I, I guess that's the sense that I was getting. Yeah. I don't know. Rocky Horror for me, um, for better or for worse, has always been just sort of a pivotal queer movie for me, horror or not. Um, I always loved it for its shock value. I always loved it for, you know, the big old fuck you that it gives everyone. And I just think it's a great time. All around. Ten stars. I have spoken. It just gives people license to be who they are and gives gives them permission to be who they are. And you will never walk away from a showing of Rocky Horror without just feeling amazing. Like, the energy that the movie brings and the fans, the energy that they bring, it it really is kind of a, a community experience. This is just, this is a movie that, in my life, has brought people together. I'm excited to have an opportunity, well, whenever I get an opportunity to see it in that setting. I think that would be a lot of fun. I have a pleather corset that would probably fit you. Just saying, if you want to borrow, borrow I'm totally cool with that. Uh, yes, please. <laughs> I'm reading his uh, filmography and stuff. The amount of children's films that he's voiced in from my childhood? It's very long. <laughs> Tim Curry, by the way, that's, that's what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. Uh, I was just going to say, I saw this meme that just said you can tell a lot about a person from what they know Tim Curry from. <laughs> That's true. That should have been the question. The get to know you question is where did you first know Tim Curry from? Oh, damn. Oh. Let's do it now. Muppet Treasure Island was probably the yeah. biggest impact, but I think the first time, and I didn't realize it was him until years later, was Legend. He played Darkness. Oh my god, the makeup in that movie was amazing. And Tom <laughs> Cruise's teeth were still fucked up, too. <laughs> I think mine was Clue. Yeah, I think Clue was mine. That's a great one. Clue was rather delightful. Mine was Scooby-Doo and the Witch's Ghost. Not until Scooby-Doo and the Witch's Ghost, Miss. Nice. Listen, that came out in 99. I was four, so. That's fair. <laughs> I, I can't remember the name of the movie. Maybe one of you can help me. But there was a movie, and it was about witches, and he was, like, he was, like, the lead witch that, like, kind of showed up at the end. Oh, uh, shoot. I might have to try and look it up. Oh, this isn't ringing a bell, and if I haven't seen this, I need to see this. All right, I'm going to do a quick Google. Juju it. He played Gomez Adams? It's wow. called The Worst Witch. I have never seen that. He's the only male character in yes, the movie. Yes, that's the one. 
Worst witch. The other random, weird, obscure one that I saw that I remember him in really well from was uh, there was this, I think there was only one season of it, it was this TV show called Earth 2. And a bunch of people, they have to fly to another planet because Earth is no longer habitable for whatever reason. I can't remember exactly why. And he was like this weird pirate character that I think was maybe already on the planet. It was a really random thing to know him from, but I just remember seeing that. And that was that and Clue were the things I knew him from. I also really loved him as Cardinal Richelieu in uh, the 90s Three Musketeers movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All for one and more for me. (laughs) Love is wasted on the young. He's just magic. He is. And and despite being such a horror fan, I missed it when it was first coming out. But of course, he's phenomenal in that, too. The dude has, like, an IMDb that is lifetime achievement worthy, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, he has done so many, not just films. I mean, of course, he's. I think he's most famous for films, but he's done extensive stage work as well. I mean, that's how he ended up in this. It was, he was yeah. in this, the Rocky Horror Show before it was the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Oh, also, if you have never seen him impersonate Mick Jagger, please Google that immediately. It's hilarious. He was Nigel <laughs> Thornberry? How did I not know that? Oh my gosh. This is a this is a trip. Smashing. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing too, and I saw it on IMDb, so it is a hundred percent unconfirmed. But supposedly, when they were doing the film version of this and deciding who they were going to cast, supposedly Mick Jagger did want to play Doctor Frankenfurter. I don't know if that's actually true. If you're listening at home and you have confirmation, feel free to share it with us. But yeah, so apparently Mick Jagger thought he would you know, could play this part or that he should play this part. And thank thank God, honestly, that he didn't. But anyway. <laughs> Seriously. Oh, he was in Home Alone 2 also. That's, I know him from that pretty, that maybe he is was like, more than He was than the clue. maitre d' of the hotel. Yeah, with oh, uh, right. Rob Schneider also. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he who shall not be named. And by that, I mean the former president was in it too. <laughs> I thought you meant Macaulay Culkin. Okay, yeah, got it. Macaulay Culkin was the form or the future president. Yeah, that's what I. Heard. Yes, I vote for him. <laughs> I would probably vote for him as well. His his plan is to weave a bunch of glass ornaments on the U.S. Mexico border. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I like this plan. I'm happy to be a part of it. That's all it is. It's like, oh no, they step on it, or they keep it as a keepsake. Either way, everybody wins. And he just stands in like Laredo, Texas, with a little BB gun over his shoulder, like. <laughs> <laughs> Merry Christmas! All right. Well, thank you for joining us for another episode of Is It Horror. La- uh, next week is going to be the final installment of the Is It Horror first annual horror film marathon. And so all the next week we are doing Joe ruins your childhood week. So it's going to be all children's horror movies of sorts. And we're going to have the next episode. We're going to be covering the black cauldron. So join us back here for that. Um, thanks again for joining us. And I have been Steve. And I'm Brianna. And I'm Joe. I'm Matt. 
And I'm just a sweet mitts from Transylvania. Thanks for seeing what's on the slab. <laughs> Bye. 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 Thanks for joining us at Is It Horror? We post new episodes every other Friday. Think we didn't give this movie a fair shake? Think we missed something? Do you have a suggestion for future episodes? Or did you just want to say hi? If so, you can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Is It Horror Pod, or you can email us at Is It Horror Podcast at gmail.com. In the meantime, stay safe and keep asking yourself Is It Horror?